Phineas is not a boy any longer, said Mrs. Finn. And windbags don't get college scholarships, said Matilda Finn, the second daughter. But Papa always snubs Finny, said Barbara, the youngest. I'll snub you if you don't take care, said the doctor, taking Barbara tenderly by the ear, for his youngest daughter was the doctor's pet. The doctor certainly did not snub his son, for he allowed him to go over to London when he was twenty-two years of age in order that he might read with an English barrister. It was the doctor's wish that his son might be called to the Irish bar, and the young man's desire that he might go to the English bar. The doctor so far gave way, under the influence of Phineas himself, and of all the young women of the family, as to pay the usual fee to a very competent and learned gentleman in the Middle Temple, and to allow his son one hundred and fifty pounds per annum for three years. Dr. Finn, however, was still firm in his intention that his son should settle in Dublin and take the Munster circuit, believing that Phineas might come to want home influences and home connections, in spite of the swanhood which was attributed to him. Phineas sat his terms for three years and was duly called to the bar, but no evidence came home as to the acquirement of any considerable amount of law law or even as to much law-study on the part of the young aspirant. The learned pundit at whose feet he had been sitting was not especially loud in praise of his pupil's industry, though he did say a pleasant word or two as to his pupil's intelligence. Phineas himself did not boast much of his own hard work when at home during the long vacation, no rumours of expected successes, of expected professional successes, reached the ears of any of the Finn family at Killaloe. But, nevertheless, there came tidings which maintained those high ideas in the maternal bosom of which mention has been made, and which were of sufficient strength to induce the doctor, in opposition to his own judgment, to consent to the continued residence of his son in London. Phineas belonged to an excellent club, the Reform Club, and went into very good society. He was hand-in-glove with the Honourable Lawrence Fitzgibbon, the youngest son of Lord Cladar. He was intimate with Barrington Earl, who had been private secretary, one of the private secretaries to the great Whig Prime Minister who was lately in, but was now out. He had dined three or four times with that great Whig nobleman, the Earl of Brentford, and he had been assured that if he stuck to the English bar, he would certainly do well. Though he might fail to succeed in court or in chambers, he would doubtless have given to him some one of those numerous appointments for which none but clever young barristers are supposed to be fitting candidates. The old doctor yielded for another year, although at the end of the second year he was called upon to pay a sum of three hundred pounds, which was then due, by Phineas, to creditors in London. When the doctor's male friends in and about Killaloe heard that he had done so, they said that he was doting. 
not one of the Miss Finns was as yet married, and, after all that had been said about the doctor's wealth, it was supposed that there would not be above five hundred pounds a year among them all were he to give up his profession. But the doctor, when he paid that three hundred pounds for his son, buckled to his work again, though he had for twelve months talked of giving up the midwifery. He buckled to again, to the great disgust of Dr. Duggin, who at this time said very ill-natured things about young Phineas. At the end of the three years, Phineas was called to the bar, and immediately received a letter from his father asking minutely as to his professional intentions. His father recommended him to settle in Dublin, and promised the one hundred and fifty pounds for three more years on condition that this advice was followed. He did not absolutely say that the allowance would be stopped.